Let's pray. So, Father God, I thank you for today, Father God. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you anoint me to bring forth your word, Father God. I ask that you help me to convey it in a manner that is pleasing to you, Father God. Spirit of truth, we invite you to be here. We ask you to lead us into all truth. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So let's go to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. We're going to read verses 5 through 12. And so the first part of this is tackling a subject that uh, many uh, Christians don't quite understand. When you begin to talk about it, Christians don't understand it. And I've attempted to teach along these lines uh, several times and um, don't know that I was super successful at it, but I'm going to attempt it again. And I, and I think I'm going to break it down in a, in a much simpler format so that we can understand it this morning. It, and that's uh, Levin. And so it says this in, in Matthew 16, 5 through 12. It says, Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Uh, then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we have taken no bread? But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So here we have Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, you'll find this in, in other places in the Bible. You'll find uh, it in Mark 8, uh, 13 through 21, and you'll find it in Luke 12, starting in verse 1, where Jesus talks about it. And um, in all of those instances, leaven of the Pharisees was mentioned. Um, in one of those cases, leaven of Herod or the Herodians, was also mentioned. So we have the Sadducees, uh, the Pharisees, and the Herodians that Jesus mentioned. And basically, he said, beware of the leaven of these. And so leaven, uh, we understand it as yeast, right? And so we understand that you throw yeast in the bread, it causes it to rise and puff up. And so uh, so that's that's the action of leaven. Uh, and that's in the verb form. Um Synonyms for it are to permeate, infuse, pervade, imbue, uh, suffuse, or transform. So basically, you take a little bit of, uh, of yeast and you throw it in there and it transforms this lump of dough into rising, right? Into nice, light, fluffy bread. And we all love it when it's nice and hot and with butter all over it, right? And so what Jesus was referring to was the action of leaven, Right. And so it's very clear in that scriptures that we read that it was he was talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so to understand what that is, uh, we have to understand uh, what they believed. What did they who were they? Right. And so so uh, and I'm no expert in this area, but I begin to study it a little bit in um the Sadducees were basically the, the people, uh, the sect of people that held the high offices or the high, high priest position uh, when Jesus walked the earth. And so they were the Sadducees, and they had the, the high-ranking uh, 
offices, if you will, in the synagogue. And uh, they held the high priest position, and they were very rich, very wealthy people. And then you had the Pharisees, and the Pharisees held the, the lower-ranking offices in the synagogue. Um, and, and we would consider them the blue-collar worker of the day. So the Pharisees had, had uh, a lot of power because of their uh, ability to relate to the common person. Where the Sadducee was very rich and was kind of the, what we would consider the top 1%, right? Um, uh, Wealth-wise at the time. And so they, they held their positions because of their wealth. And so uh, as I begin to dig into what they believed, um, the Sadducees, one of the things that the Sadducees believed was that uh, their um, rewards were only in this life. So the richer they were was proof of their spirituality, of how spiritual they were. So the more spiritual they became, or the better person they were, the richer they were because God blessed them. And so it was like this thinking like, well, I'm rich because God is blessing me because I'm a good person. Okay? And the reason they believed that they, their um, rewards were only in this life is because they didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Okay? And so uh, I'm not going to go into what the Pharisees and stuff believe because I want to focus on the Sadducee because this is where the unbelief um, actually stems from that we can be, uh, that we are not able to be influenced by evil spirits. Because they didn't believe in the afterlife, therefore they didn't believe in angels or demons. And because they didn't believe in angels or demons, they didn't believe you could be influenced by them. And so Jesus tells us to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and yet all the way 2,000 and some years later, we have Christians going around, eh, I don't think I can be influenced. Well, you believe in an afterlife. But, yeah, yeah, we're going to heaven, but they can't influence me. And we don't realize that it's actually a belief of a Sadducee that is infused, worked its way into the doctrine of Jesus. And Jesus says, watch out for that stuff. Be aware of it. And the reason we're not aware of it is because we don't take the time to go learn it, and understand it, and look at it. And so... It's very interesting that, you know, um, during Passover, when they have Passover, they were not allowed to have, um, uh, they were not allowed to eat leavened bread, right? And so they had to purge leaven out of their, um, out of their diet. So leaven is not something that, that uh, God delivers you from, per se. It's something we have to recognize and understand ourselves and move that direction, purge it from our life. So we have to take the time to learn uh, these doctrines that Jesus tells us to beware of. Because here we are, however many thousands of years later, and still some Christians believe I can't be influenced. And so 
if you're one of those or if you're on the fence, um, whether or not you uh, believe that, that you can be influenced by uh, demonic spirits, I'm going to um, show you in Scripture where this, where this happened in the Bible. Um, and it happened to Christians in the Bible. And so I'm going to show you this. If we go to Luke uh, chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. And so here um, we have Jesus going around with his disciples, and he's, he's um, going from village to village, and he's ministering to, to people. And uh, they come up on this village, and, and this is what happened. It says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to, re to be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Then when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, save them. And they went to another village. So here we have James and John. So in Jesus' ministry, he had the 12 disciples, right? And of the 12, he had three that were closest to him, Peter, James, and John. And this is James and John. Three, one, two of the three that are most close to Jesus. The three that were closest to Jesus got to see things and were taught things and uh, learned things that uh, the rest of the other nine did not. They were exposed to things that, that the other nine were not. They were the closest. And here, two of the three that are closest to Jesus, Jesus says, Whoa, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. They get upset because... They, the town, the village doesn't want to receive Jesus to come in. And they're like, oh, Jesus, can we just fall, call down fire? Elijah did it. I want the power. I want to prove to these people who you are. And Jesus was like, ah, that's the wrong spirit. You're being influenced by a wrong spirit. So, some people might go, oh, Hold on there, preacher man. They weren't born again yet. <laughs> they weren't saved yet. There's no way a saved person, a born-again, spirit-filled person can be influenced by the devil. I submit to you they were born again. Because it wasn't much longer, it uh, wasn't, uh, uh, but right before that, when Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? And some say, they said, some say you're Elijah, some say you're a prophet. And he said, who do you say that I am? And he basically said, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. And he said, upon this foundation, I'm going to build my church. The belief that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. They were born again already at that point. Same as you and I. Because it's the same foundation that Jesus built the church on that you and I are part of today. 
So Jesus had to tell him, look, you're being influenced by a wrong spirit. That's not what we do. If you want to see another instance, it's in Mark 8. In Mark 8, this is, you'll remember the story of Peter. Jesus begins to tell his disciples uh, what he must suffer, that he has to go and die and uh, be tortured, basically, and put on the cross. And he, he tells them what's going to happen and, and what's going on. And Peter's like, oh, we're not going to let that happen. And what does Jesus do? In verse 33, it says, but when he had turned around, he looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter. Get, me, uh, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. In all cases of documented cases of this instance, it says Jesus rebuked Peter or said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. So we have Jesus' top three disciples, Peter, James, and John, being taught by the man himself. Jesus himself, in his ministry, going with him everywhere he goes, doing ministry with him, being influenced by the devil. And Jesus points it out to him. So we have to understand that it is possible for us to be influenced by a wrong spirit. Once we understand that this is possible, we then want to understand how does this happen, right? How do I become influenced by an evil spirit? How can it happen without me recognizing it? They didn't recognize it. Jesus had to point it out to them. I'm going to read one more scripture that proves that we can be influenced uh, as a Christian. It's 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. And so here, uh, this portion of scripture is talking about uh, basically the body of Christ and what a minister needs to be in the body of Christ and, and how the body of Christ functions um, together and what a minister uh, how the minister must deal with it, basically. And so it says this in verse 24 through 26. It says, and the, servant of a, and the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and, they, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. having been taken captive by him to do his will. So it's talking about people in the body of Christ or in the church, in this instance, that ministers need to learn how to deal with these types of people um, so that God will deliver them. Basically what he's, what he's saying, that they will come to their senses. And what's interesting, it says uh, they've been 
basically taken captive by the devil, trapped in a snare. They've been in, entrenched, caught by him to do his will. <clears throat> and so uh, in the message translation, verse 26 says this, 2 Timothy 2, 26 says this, enabling them to escape the devil's trap where they are caught and held captive, forced to run his errands. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So we have to understand, um, I can't stress this enough, but when you read that in Second Timothy, if you go up uh, several verses, it talks about... Uh, types of vessels, and there's uh, uh, basically vessels of gold and silver, and there's vessels of clay, and so basically saying all this is all mixed together in the body of Christ, in the church, and so, so we, have to, uh, we have to understand that it is possible for us to be trapped by the devil, become ensnared by him, and the Bible tells us that, that we become trapped and we become forced to run his errands. And yet we don't even recognize it. We're running around. I love Jesus. Come to church. We worship God. And we don't even recognize it in many instances in certain areas of our life. We're being influenced by the devil. And so, um, so we're going to going to look at uh, the characteristics of evil spirits really quickly so that we begin to understand how this happens and what they do and uh, how they operate, okay? And so Jesus gives us uh, a lot of uh, cases in the Bible. He gives us clues as to how this stuff can happen because he, he basically tells us uh, uh, what evil spirits are like, what wrong spirits are like. And so we can see this over in Matthew 12. Uh, let's not go to Matthew 12 yet. Let's go to, uh, where am I at? Let's go to Mark 3, uh, Mark 4, Mark 4, verse 3. Sorry about that, guys. Mark 4, verse 3. And so this is the, this is the parable of the sower. Okay, so Jesus has this parable, and it's quite long. The whole parable uh, is uh, 20 verses. You can read it in Mark 4, uh, verses 1 through 20, if you want to go study it for yourself. Uh, but the, the verses I, I want to look at are uh, verse 3, and then we're going to look at verse, verse 13. Uh, Mark 4, 3 says, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. And so what had happened is Jesus tells this whole parable, and nobody understood it. And so then he has to go back and explain it. And so in verse uh, 13, the part that he, he's explaining about the parable relates directly to the verse that we just read, which is Mark chapter uh, 4, verse 3. And in verse 13, it says, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and stares, uh, takes away the word, uh, that was sown in their hearts. And so what, what we get a picture here is Jesus is likening 
the devil, or wrong spirits, evil spirits, to birds. Now, how many of you have ever gone out, taken a loaf of bread and gone out and fed the ducks? Anybody done that? You kind of walk up to the edge of the lake or the pond or wherever you're at, and you, you grab a little bit of bread, and you're like, oh, there's a duck way over there, and you kind of go, and the duck starts getting come closer, right? And you throw another one. And next thing you know, you're like, what in the world? Where did all these ducks come from? Right? And they're just swarming everywhere. You're like, when I got here, I saw like three ducks on the lake. Like, I just went to the closest one I could find. And now as soon as I start feeding them, there's, feels like there's hundreds. And there's like swarming all around, right? How many of you have ever gone out to feed the pigeons? You go out, you take some food, some seed for the pigeons, and you throw it out. Same thing happens. All of a sudden, all these pigeons swarm in, and they're everywhere. What happens when somebody shoes them off? You ever seen that? Some kid goes running into it, you know, they're like. <laughs> what do they do? They fly off. And then what? They come right back. They go. Right back to the food. Like, you can't get rid of those things until all the food is gone. They still hang around to make sure you're not going to give them any more. Then they go find the next place where there's food available. So Jesus likens evil spirits or the devil to this. Whenever the word is sown, he immediately comes. And we're like, get out of here, devil. Be gone in the name of Jesus. And he goes. And as soon as there's opportunity, right back. Try to steal the word. So evil spirits are relentless in their approach. Many times we're like, oh, I'm just so frustrated. I keep telling the devil to leave me alone. Shoo him away. And he keeps circling back. So we have the power and authority. Many of us believe this and understand this. To tell the devil to go and he goes. Then we end up in this circulatory pattern where he just keeps on coming back. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. So what do we do in that instance? The advice that I give to most people is quit focusing on what the devil's doing. You've taken your authority over him. He can't do anymore. He can't do it. Quit focusing on what the devil's doing. Begin to focus on what God is doing. Keep your eyes on God. 
And whenever you need to take authority over the devil, the Holy Spirit will remind you. He'll bring it to your attention. And you use that authority, okay? But we're just getting an idea, an understanding of, of how evil spirits uh, act, okay? We also see this in Matthew 12, uh, verse 43. It says this, But when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, it roams through dry, arid uh, places in search of rest, but it does not find any. Then it says, I will go back to my house from where I came. And when it arrives, it finds the place unoccupied, swept, put in order, and decorated. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself. And they go in and make their home there. Uh, and the last condition of the man becomes worse than the first. So also shall it be with this wicked generation. And so we see Jesus is telling us that how evil spirits work. Again, get swept out, pushed out of the house. They go and search for something and decide to come back and try. So we know that the devil's always going to come back. Excuse me. Always going to come back and try to, uh, to make its home wherever it was before. Uh, let's look at the next thing. I'm not going to go there yet. So John 10 John 10, verses 1 and 2. It says this. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. We have a lot of people that say, well, you have to leave an open door for the devil. That's the only way he can get in. Right here, Jesus is teaching and he says, the thief and the robber doesn't need a door. He finds his own way. Goes crawling through the, the fence, up into a window. Any little crack, he's going to find a way. So the devil's constantly looking for areas to get in. And so the belief that we have to leave an open door or intentionally allow the Holy Spirit... I mean, uh, the devil to operate in our life is not true. We don't, there, even if uh, you unintentionally leave a door open, and the Holy Spirit will show us if that's the case, and, and we just close the door, right? Uh, but we have to understand the character of, of the devil. He does not need to be invited. He finds his own way. And so whenever we're talking to people who are, have things going on in their life and we're just like, well, you know, you know, brother, you should just close that door. <laughs> and what door is that you're talking about? Well, what I see in your life is, well, you're always cussing. And I don't know what you do on that computer at night. But you just need to close that door and the devil will leave you alone. Well, that might be true, but what we're doing is we're stepping over into judgment. Yeah. We don't know what's going on in that person's life, really. Now, if that's the case, yeah, let's close those doors. Let's make sure there's no room for the devil. We don't want to give him any place. We want to keep those doors shut. But listen to me, the devil will find any way he can. 
Am I really out of time already? I am? Holy moly. I'm only halfway through. Okay. Oh, Lord, help me. How am I going to finish this? Um, close the door. That's right. Just close the door. Okay. So, we have to understand that anything... So a lot of times we're like, well, what is evil? The problem is, is we don't recognize evil as evil. Evil comes up and, and presents itself as our friend. And we don't recognize it. And because we don't recognize it, we don't realize that we become buddy-buddy with this thing. Okay? And so we have to realize or understand that anything that is contrary or outside the character of God is evil. Absolutely everything that is outside the character of God is evil. And the only way we're going to recognize it is know the character of God. And when we know the character of God, then, then anything that's outside of that, we're like, oh, hold on. That doesn't quite fit. Listen, you don't have to be a spirit-filled Christian uh, to stop evil, evil from working in your life. You guys understand that? Listen, there are people out there who don't even believe in God, but yet they have standards in their life that do not allow uh, evil influences in certain areas of their life. They just put a standard. They're like, no, I'm not doing that. No, I'm not having an affair on my spouse. Right? Because they recognize it as evil and they refuse to do it. You do not have to be spirit-filled. But the Holy Spirit helps us recognize these things right and so when things become try to buddy up with us the easiest one to uh, explain is fear many times fear presents itself as our friend if you have a fear of heights you get to the edge and you're like whoa that's scary I feel safe now and then you walk away and you go, wow, fear really kept me from falling off the edge. Fear was my friend. Kept me from falling and killing myself. And then the next time you come up to the same cliff, you're like, oh, this is as far as I'm going. I'm not getting any closer than that. I, I got this fear of heights. Wow, sure is beautiful out there. And you walk away and you go, Ah, fear saved me again. And then the next time. Nope, this is as close as I'm getting to the edge. I got a fear of heights. And God is like, run right up to the edge, man. Fear is not what saves you. Wisdom is what keeps you from jumping over the edge and falling over the edge. But yet fear pretends to be our friend and we accept it as our friend. And fear is not our friend. Fear wants to keep us bound. The next thing you know, the closest we can get is to here. 
The next thing you know, well, I won't get on a plane because I'm afraid of flying. And then the next thing you know, I can't come out of my house. Fear binds us and captivates us and captures us. It ensnares us. And there's so many others that I can't go into because we don't have time. Just because we don't recognize them. So, how do we get delivered? The very best way is to never get entrapped to begin with. It's the very best way. And, and you'll see this all throughout the Bible. In Proverbs, it talks about this. They write about this. Recognizing evil. All throughout the Bible, we, we see uh, the phrase, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is the fear of the Lord? You find that in Proverbs as well. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And so the very best way is to recognize evil and then hate it. It's not good enough just to recognize it and, and see it as evil. We have to learn to hate it because when you hate something, all of a sudden you're like, that thing is not coming near me. So that's the best way and the first way. But if we become entrapped by the devil in certain areas of our life, and it always seems to be certain areas, it's never like, well, that person's of the devil for sure. Like, it's just like these certain areas of our life because we don't recognize uh, evil. And because we've made buddies with that evil thing, we don't even realize it. We're just operating in it because we think it's normal and it's okay. It's accepted by society and it seems to be okay. And the devil entraps us. He attaches himself to us. And we do these things like manipulation. Manipulation is simply doing something, expecting something in return for yourself. And if you take that to the lowest level, you're like, wait, do I do that? Do I give a compliment expecting them to give me a compliment back? If so, it's manipulation. giving them a bottle of water pastor just giving them a bottle of water expecting that they're gonna owe me something and then ask me something and then I'm just gonna tell them about the church manipulation God does not use manipulation Jesus teaches us to give just to give just to fulfill a need because the need is there. We give it and we fulfill the need. We're never expecting anything in return. You see how these things become ingrained in us and we don't even recognize it? We don't understand it and the devil's like, gotcha. Don't even know that you're operating outside the character of God. And we become entrapped by it. God wants to set us free. If we become entrapped by it, God is there to set us free, to deliver us from these things.
He delivers us. Jesus himself came for this very reason. In Luke 4, 17 through 21, Jesus walks into the synagogue at the very beginning of his ministry. He's getting ready to start his ministry. And they handed him the book of Isaiah. And this is what he says in, in Luke uh, 4.18. He reads, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover sight to the blind, to set at liberty, at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus himself said, I came to do this. I, I came to proclaim liberty to the captive. To give us hope that we could be set free. And then it says, uh, And recovery of the sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus said, I came to give you hope that you could be set free. And to actually do it. In Acts 10, 37 through 38, it says uh, that the word you know which was pro proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after baptism, uh, which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So he actually did it. And then in Luke 9, we see that he sends out his uh, 12 disciples and he says this to them. And then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then in Luke 10, it says this. Uh, Jesus sends out the 70. He sends out the 70 and the 70 goes out and he doesn't tell them anything about having power and authority over the devil. And they come back and this is what they say. They go out and minister and they come back and they say this in Luke uh, 10. 70 through 20 it says then the 70 and return with joy saying lord even the demons are subject to us in your name and he said to them i saw satan fall like lightning from heaven behold i give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you nevertheless do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven Listen, all power and authority was in Jesus, and he passed that power and authority on to us. In fact, in uh, Mark 16, the Great Commission, it says this, and he said to them, uh, Mark 16, 15 through 17, and he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs shall follow them who believe. Let's say these signs will follow the pastors, preachers, the teachers, the apostles, the prophets. It says, These signs shall follow them who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Um, listen, this is the very reason Jesus came. He came to set all of us free that are entrapped. And we have a hard time believing it because we haven't experienced it for ourselves. We have to know this is the very reason that Jesus came. To set us free from all the things that would try to entrap us and hold us and keep us bound. Put us in bondage.
so many times we're just kind of like, oh, I'm not sure. And God will never bother you with it. If you don't want anything to do with it, God's never going to bother you with it. He loves us that much. If we're just like, I'm not sure about that. I'm just going to keep doing my own thing. And I just love Jesus. And it's perfectly fine. But if we want to progress, if we really, truly want to be free and understand what freedom really looks like, which is why Jesus came, it's available to us. And so many times we're trapped in things and we don't even understand. Many times because we become trapped and because we recognize these things as being normal or just way of doing things as acceptable. Many times we need a trusted uh, leader or person to point it out to us. Just go, you know, you might want to study on the word a little bit about in that area. And then we go look at it and we're like, oh, I've been doing this wrong. Like I didn't even know that. And there's other times where you got to get delivered, man. I mean, like it's, it's a moment. I've been there. It's happened to me. I know. I've been delivered. I've been in conferences where the minister got up and it, our two-minute mingle that we do, the minister was like, hey, I want you to turn around and tell three people uh, the demons that you've been delivered from. And I was like, oh, really? People talk about this stuff in church? But listen, over, over in Psalms 34, verse 8, it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. See, it's all about experiencing God, being willing to, to experience Him and allow Him access to all areas of our life. Would you please stand? Listen, our team that's up or after service they've been trained in deliverance and helping people through areas of their life and if it's something you're not sure about or maybe you recognize something and you just need breakthrough in something I encourage you to come and ask for prayer for it after service that's what they're here for But listen, know this, that Jesus came to set us free Amen. from everything. And those of us who've been set free uh, from things in our life, uh, I can tell you, when you step to the other side, all of a sudden all this uh, judgment that you used to walk in just kind of goes away because you're like... I didn't even know how I ended up there, how I became trapped. I know what I'm doing to make sure that I stay free, but I understand how it happens now and how the devil entraps me and I, and I begin to do his will without even knowing it. So therefore, when we see others doing things that aren't uh, in the character of God, it helps you go, 
They just love you. We all get caught up in pointing fingers and we don't even realize that pointing fingers is what the devil does. That's not what God does. So listen, I just want you to know I love you so much. It's a very difficult topic to, to discuss because as you begin to discuss it, all of us, every single one of us begin to realize areas in our life that we might operate or do things outside of the character of God. The thing is, we don't want to do that thing so much, become so attached to that thing that the devil's just like, hey, since you love doing things that way so much, I'm just going to help you. We need to make sure that we don't allow him to trap us in these things. We just recognize them. We ask God to forgive us and, and we move on and we put up a uh, things in our life to remind us not to do things that way, to do things differently, to do things that are inside the character of God. But if we become trapped in an area, God will deliver us, bam, right now. And then we go about learning how not to fall back into that trap again, how to walk free from it. So hopefully I was able to explain all this in a manner that's easy to understand. But I want to pray for everybody today before we go. So Father, I thank you for your word, Father God, how it is life and light unto us, Father God, how it illuminates areas of our life, Father God, that, that we need to adjust or change. And Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you in, into our lives. And we allow you to uh, illuminate those areas that you're asking of us to adjust. And I come against any confusion that would try to come. Every bird that would try to come to steal away the word of God, I command you to go in Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We thank you for setting us free. We thank you for the freedom that is available in you, Father. Holy Spirit, we ask you to guide us into that freedom whatever that might look like for each one of us individually we thank you for that in Jesus mighty name amen